welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Christy, hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Thanks. We're so glad to be here. This is, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, not a topic that I have a ton of lived experience in. Personally, I've walked alongside other people, but you created a faith-based mental health nonprofit that provides therapy and services to help not only clients, but their families as well with eating disorders and body image. And this is such a like near and dear topic to a lot of people. It's very personal. So I always like to kind of tell people on the front end what we're talking about. It's sometimes it's difficult, but it's so necessary. So I'd love if you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe your journey and what recovery has looked like for you. Yeah. So it's definitely my favorite thing to talk about, but, and I think our culture is starting to talk about mental health challenges a little bit more, but I love that you're shedding light on it and having this conversation today. So thank you. Yeah. makes a big difference. And yeah, so I'm personally recovered and I actually did not found rock recovery. I always joke I didn't birth it, but I adopted it. And uh-huh. which I think I feel better about personally. IRS forms are real rough. So I really a uh, street cred to our founder for figuring yes. all that out. Yeah. Oh my gosh. True. So many things, but we're 13 years old. Rock Recovery is 13 years old and I've been involved with the organization for 12. So I was an early adoptee, but I've been recovered enough from my own struggle with an eating disorder for about 15 years after struggling for about a decade. So the older I get, the more I have to keep adding numbers and doing <laughs> math, but right. and, and for me, my, my journey was something I think that I mean, similarly to you, I know a lot of my friends and loved ones are like, you know, I just don't struggle with this. I don't get it, but I love you and I want to empathize and I want to understand more. So everyone's journey is different, but mine started as a lot of people's do, which was just a desire to lose some weight, the pressure to be on a diet, the pressure to be thin. I was a type A perfectionistic controlling little child and at the age of 38, not much has changed. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm working so hard and sanctification is real, but slow. Yes. But oftentimes people who develop disordered eating have sort of personality traits. And I feel like I was the cookie cutter of, you know, I like to be in control. I like to be affirmed. I like to look like I have it all together. All those little things. I am an Enneagram three, I must confess. Yes. I'm sure you saw right through me, but so, you know, a lot of people might not struggle personally with disordered eating or body image issues, but they often know someone who has. And so everyone's story is different. And I always like to say that up front that, you know, my journey will look different than somebody else's, but every story is unique and really matters. And for me, my struggle started when I was about eight years old. It really is when it really kicked up. I moved from Pennsylvania to Texas against my will at the age of eight. And I'll like forever remember when my family sat us down and said, we're having a family meeting. And my sister and I were like, are we getting a puppy? Are we going to Disney world? And my parents were like, we're moving to Texas. 
<laughs> and I was like, well, that's not as cool as a puppy or Disney World. And uh-huh. I've never had a puppy. I've never been to Disney World. It's very sad. But for a lot of people, control and coping is one of the reasons why they initially turn to or from food or exercise to just feel better and get through life. And I'm an Enneagram three. I'm an achiever. I'm perfectionistic. I'm kind of rigid. I try so hard, but still I'm not terribly flexible as a human. So a lot of those personality traits for me just really lent themselves to developing disordered eating. And it's Mm -hmm. sort of the personality contract that you might see often for people. And so, yeah, so I struggled for a really long time with food and body image and it got worse as I got into my teenage years. I got more serious about ballet. I was a ballerina and I'm a very big words of affirmation person and very big on just, I think, praise. And so I started to realize, oh, like the girls in my class who have the smaller bodies get the bitter parts. They get all the warm, Mm. fuzzy feelings and words that I'm not getting okay, I know how to fix that. I'll just eat differently. I'll just work out more. I'll do all these things. And so I kind of started the spiral of changing my behavior to get affirmation and it worked. That's the problem. Unfortunately, it often works. You know, our culture really idolizes thin bodies. And unfortunately, that's not the way God created most of us. And so it can be really harmful for those of us that aren't genetically wired that way. Right. Yes. I think that is such a good place to start with the conversation, because even if you haven't struggled with disordered eating, something that I've definitely struggled with is like disordered body image that unless you live under a rock, you likely have encountered it in some capacity. Because like you said, I mean, we have, regardless of if it's ballet or sports or just life, we have made thinness equivalent to beauty And then we've made beauty the most important thing about us. And so it's this vicious, really stupid cycle that we're stuck in. You know, I I just saw a TikTok not that long ago about a girl who was saying she's like voicing over these pictures of her losing, like rapidly losing a lot of weight. And she's like, this was easy because everybody was praising me. Everybody was saying good job. But but her recovery looked like gaining a lot of that weight back. And she was like, there was no praise then, even though this was actually a pursuit of health. And so it's just crazy how much culture and the words of others have impacted our own relationships with our bodies. I think, and our culture really is disordered and it's really hard to see it. I mean, for me, I struggled for the gory details, but all throughout high school, all throughout college, started to struggle more with severe restriction and then a little bit of bulimia over exercising and just lots of different disordered behaviors in between, but I never realized I had an eating disorder because I would like look to my left and be like, oh, well, Sally does this or Mm. to my right, Susie feels this way or every woman I sit with hates something about their body or does these things or calorie counts or whatever. And I never realized it was disordered because it was so common and it was so quote unquote normalized that I just didn't realize how much captivity I was living in because it just seemed like the price you pay as a woman in society and really as anyone, I think just the the pressure you feel and the things that you feel like you need to conform to, I think for me was very strong. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't even notice. I didn't even notice the air I was breathing. Well, and I think that that's, I think that that'll hit home for a lot of people. You know, disorder doesn't mean uncommon, you know, just, you know, it's kind of like if everybody jumped off of a bridge, if we're all collectively thinking we need to be eating a thousand calories a day and you need to be able to see our hip bones and we need to be working out seven days a week, et cetera, et cetera. It's really difficult to get out of that mindset when 
you almost have it in common with everybody. And then when you get out of it, I remember when I went through early recovery, it was really hard to find people I could hang out with because that weren't triggering to me. And I was like, wait a second, I don't want to hear about your diet. I don't want to watch you eat only lettuce. I don't want to do these things. And it was really hard to find healthy people to kind of be around because of just the normalization of disordered behavior. Yes. A hundred percent. I, so I'm 33 and I would say in the last year just started coming out of kind of being in the grips of just diet culture. I wouldn't say that I've had disordered eating now. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe we have more in common than I thought, but <laughs> oh no, <laughs> you know, just, but I've seen so much healing and like just removing good and bad labels from food or you know, gosh, the unworking and unwiring it takes in your brain to stop believing that the number like on your genes or on the scale is your worth. It's a lot of work to undo it. And so regardless of where you kind of are in this spectrum of that experience, I do you feel like it's kind of something that's continual? Like you're like you're recovered, but are you kind of always recovering? Such a good question. And gasp, no, I don't think you are always recovering. I think really, truly complete freedom is possible. And and here's why I think one, you know, spoiler alert, but uh, there's that, you know, for freedom, we've been set free, but also because I had to do the hard work of recovery. So I didn't realize what I had built my life on. I didn't realize that my identity was so achievement oriented or looks oriented. And when I went through recovery and did the hard work of therapy and healing prayer and all the things, and I actually came to faith through my own recovery. I was not wow. a Christian prior to, so you can have that. Yeah. But when I did that, I kind of had to tear down brick by brick, the false house I created and then rebuild it with new things. So in a way I, you know, it sounds so Pollyanna to be like, I'm grateful for my struggle because the redemption I've experienced. and yet. There's something to that because I had to really ruthlessly look at my values, how I was living, what's lies, what's true, what's idle, what's whatever. I I really believe that complete freedom is possible because I built a whole new foundation. I mean, by the grace of God. And it's just something where I don't, I no longer slip into the diet culture because I can spot it from a mile away and I'm just like, boo, that is not Mm. true. And I reject you. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I love what you said about having built a new foundation. So you found freedom, but it's because you, everything had to be torn down and rebuilt. Like you're, I maybe, maybe kind of what I'm thinking is you're not going to find freedom and keep those old beliefs foundations. Like you can't be like dabbling with diet culture and find freedom. Yeah. You can't like slap some paint on it. Right. And that's one thing that one thing that's really hard about true freedom and recovery is you have to let go of the number on the scale. You have to really surrender that. And for me, accepting the body I was given and that was like God created was a huge part. You know, I'm not trying to change my shoe size. Why was I trying to change my dress size? And eventually I just sort of surrendered and said, cool, you want me to be this size God? You made me to be this kind of shape. All right. Like I'm done. I'm done fighting this because I'm never going to win. And it's just not freedom. Right. What's your response to kind of the other side of that, where people can kind of get I don't, I don't even know what the motive is, but kind of the response of, well, you're telling people to just be unhealthy. You're telling people to just like give up and be lazy and da, 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 da. Like that's really disheartening too. that side of it. Yeah. And freedom is not the same thing as a free for all, right? Yes. Like when we're actually living in true freedom, there are healthy, good limits that we respect. Like, yes. 
a big part of my recovery was, you know, okay, I have to allow myself to eat a cupcake because for a lot of people, if they try not to eat the cupcake and they restrict, 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 eventually they binge and eat 10 of the cupcakes, right? Exactly. Like, and that ain't freedom. And that's not really, and that isn't quote unquote healthy for us either. Right. So for me, I think it was coming to terms with there are natural limits, but I can trust my body as God created it. And I can really know, like, listen, today I want the hamburger, not the salad. And that's great. And mm -hmm. tomorrow I might want the salad and that's great, but you have to remove the rules. You have to remove the legalism. You have to remove the fear. And it doesn't mean you're going to go just right. So I think because our culture has told us you have to be a militant around food in your body, people can't understand that. Like, no, you actually can relax a little bit. Like you really mm -hmm. can trust the body as it was created. Like you can eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full have moderation, variety, balance, all these things. And, and you can really, you can trust your body. You really can. Do you think it comes down to that? We've got completely jacked up definitions of health. I really do. I feel like that's a very wise. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really, I mean, it's not really in the clinical trainings I go to a jacked up definition of health might not be in like the, <laughs> that's the, the yeah. Christian <laughs> version of it. I'm super into your definition. It might not be in like the diagnostic statistic manual for mental health disorders next year, but it really should be. It I should feel be. like we should really, should they can steal that. I give them yeah. permission. <laughs> we should rally for that. I think for sure. But yeah, I think so. And it's one of those places again, where the culture that is disordered has sort of infiltrated our little brains and we don't even see it. We don't even mm. re like recognize it. And this fear of fat and all of these phobias and things like we, we believe at rock recovery and health at every size where you know, not any person's body could be healthy at any size, but people of all sizes and shapes can be very healthy based on their genetics and how they were created. Yes. Like there's yes. diversity in our bodies. Yes. Oh, I love that. that. Like not every size is healthy for every person, but every person can be healthy at the size they were created to be. Like my best friend since we were in kindergarten is a natural size too. I mean, she just did like, I'm always like, I just want to put you in my pocket. Like she's just this like little tiny thing. She's just was a natural dancer. Like we ate the same things and I had boobs and a butt and was curvy and she's teeny, teeny tiny. And I spent a lot of, we actually both now in adulthood, and that's kind of the beauty of like a lifelong relationship like that in adulthood, appreciate what we kind of were at war with when we were more like college age, like, cause I think that that's something that people forget is like, okay, you're really skinny friends. They may want to be curvy and your really curvy friends may want to be really skinny. And that's why this definition quote unquote of health is such garbage because look back in time, look at the two yes. thousands and look at today and what was considered like quote unquote in like, now you have like BBLs and people like building fake butts, which like, whatever, do you, but think back to like 2000s when it was like heroin thin was like, what was in, if you're going to be like run by culture's definition of health, you're going to be exhausted and you're never going to be free. And it's never going to be good enough. And that was, exactly. what was so hard when I was struggling was, you know, when I hit my goal weight, quote unquote, I expected the heavens to part and like all the angels to come down and just like the unicorns and rainbows. And it didn't happen. I still didn't yeah. feel good enough. I still wasn't happy. I still wasn't content. I still wasn't at peace. I was at war with my body and it was just no way to live. Tell us a little bit about what recovery looked like. I love that you met Jesus in your recovery. That's so cool. So it's just kind yeah. of like that we've kind of gotten up to like when recovery started, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So it was the year after I graduated college and just a big year of change. Talk about more uncontrollable coping things happening for me. And a friend of mine passed away from cancer right when we graduated, which totally rocked my world. And suddenly I had to have this job. I had this job that I hated. I worked at a sports PR firm and I was a ballerina. I don't know anything about sports. It was a horrible job for me. Oh my gosh. I had to fake it all day long. It was horrible. And I was just really struggling. I started to struggle more with anxiety attacks in addition to my disordered eating, which was partially because I think my nutrition was so off and I wasn't getting the nutrients yeah. I needed. Yeah. And I was just miserable. And so I was actually, this is where it gets scandalous, out at a bar one night. And <gasps> How dare you? Yes. I know. <laughs> I know. And I met a very cute guy who asked what I did on the weekend and was like, hey, you want to come to church with me? And I was not interested in church, but I was very interested in cute guys. And I was like, yeah. sure. Okay, I'll go. And so that's actually where, so I went to this church with him and like, spoiler alert again, this guy's actually one of my very dearest friends His now Aww. also very cute wife is when it was a bridesmaid in my wedding five years oh ago. Oh my gosh. What a story. That's so sweet. Later. It's so fun. But you know, God knew how to get me. What a trick. Yeah. Got me to yeah. church and yeah. made a really big difference in my life. And at this church, a program was being run called New ID, which is a six week course for anyone who's struggling with food or body image about complete freedom is possible when you find your true identity in Christ. And I was like, this Jesus guy sounds kind of weird. <laughs> I've been really struggling with my body. And I bet if I go to this course, I'll figure out how to lose more weight. Yeah. Trick number two, uh, didn't lose weight, gained weight. And it was really good for me. So, yes. um, but I went through this whole six week course and it's just all about, you know, what's freedom, what's captivity. What does this look like? Where does it come from? How do you look back at your past and you know, maybe childhood or emotions or things that you've been taught or that you learned or that you believed. And it just really helps you dismantle the underlying stuff while also approaching the mental health stuff and working mm. with a therapist and thinking about nutrition and really changing the food rules. Maybe you've been subscribing to or whatever else. So that six week course, like totally changed my life. And then I got an individual therapist who also totally changed my life. And I like want to name my daughter after her, but that might be too heavy handed. I don't know. It could be, it could be a bit strong. But she just really like saved me. I mean, yeah. I didn't realize how captive I was until I was free. And looking yeah. back, I just like, like I was truly in the pit and I had no idea. And yeah. it's just so amazing to be out of it. It's yeah. Amazing. And so recovery was hard. It was not linear. It was a mess. There are many tears. There were more muffins actually. And tears. it was a very strange combination of carbs and tears, but it really, I mean, it was just messy and beautiful and wonderful. And it, it brought me to where I am now. And I love getting to work with other people who are on their own journeys and being the unicorn. That's like, no, no, yeah. it's, freedom's possible. You can do it. It sucks. And you can. Yeah. I think people struggle to welcome God into this stuff because it's like, God doesn't care how much I weigh. Doesn't God doesn't care about how much I care about how much I weigh, like God doesn't like they're bigger, like there are wars, there are mm. people dying, you know? And I've, again, kind of, I know I was talking earlier about being 33 and just in the last year, starting to understand what health and diet culture really look like, but understand that like God cares about the things that I care about. And he cares about like, if something is running my life, if the number on the scale or the perception of other people is becoming an idol or, or even just like messing with me. Like one of the huge realizations that I've had to have is that God cares about this stuff. And I don't feel like there are a ton of voices out there sharing that. Yep. Yeah. And I think we feel so much shame around our bodies and sometimes it's unfortunately bad theology, right? Like, but I'm like, dude, guys, like Jesus took on flesh, like 
clearly there's real dignity to bodies and they really do matter. And we're not just floating around in space and like bodies really matter. And, and there is this sort of war between either wanting to have total mastery and control over your body and making that an idol or, I mean, but yeah, God cares about the things we care about. And I think God doesn't care about the size of our bodies like we do, but God cares that we're held captive by something and that we're wasting our precious energy on things that just matter, that just don't matter. Yeah. Because there are things that do matter that that time and energy can be expended on. And for me, I know like you're, when we're recording, you're pregnant. You said you're having a daughter, right? Yeah. Oh, I congratulations. It's and great, isn't it? It yes, is. It's I so know. scary. I'm a girl mom. <laughs> and one of the big things for me, a lot of the time is like, what kind of language am I handing down to my girl? Yes. You know, can we break generational curses of meltdowns trying to get ready to go somewhere and how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about food and exercise. I think that's such a huge part of it as well as like this generational, it was handed down to us. Are we going to hand it down as well? And that's the beauty is you get to break it. You get to set the tone for your own home. And yeah, our kids are going to experience the world and all of its brokenness. And we can still have those conversations and help, Mm -hmm. help model our own patterns. And I just remember I did this horrifying exercise when I went through therapy, that was like a circle, a little pie chart. And you had to put percentages of all the things you thought about in a day, like where your thought energy went. And when I calculated it, I mean, I think for me at one point it was like 60% was food and body image. And I was just like seeing it on paper. I was like, but I say, I care about service and love and friendship and all these other things. And like that gets 15% and like all this other stuff gets all the rest of my good energy. And it was really convicting for me and it was helpful, but we don't want to pass that on. And we don't Yeah. We don't want to pass it on. So what is your encouragement? Like, let's talk about guilt and shame first, because I think you have to kind of get a handle on the power that those things have before you can maybe deal with like the actual struggle itself. Yeah. So what's your encouragement for those who are struggling with the guilt and shame of struggling, right? Like, Oh, we're such complex little creatures, aren't we? It's horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm sure you've, you've said this before, but you know, guilt is often I've done something wrong. Shame is often I am something wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. both can be lies as and my therapist would say straight from the pit of hell. And like, you have to yes, them. but <laughs> I love when she gets dramatic and says things. Like yes. that However, I think there is something to just those things keep us captive and that's what keeps us silent or isolated. And so I see with our clients a lot and with my own story, when you feel guilty or ashamed, you, you withdraw, right? Mm. Like you, and you just go deeper and deeper into yourself and go deeper and deeper into these things. So there's no shame in struggling. There really isn't. Unfortunately, I think the church and society hasn't done the best job on mental health and having mm-hmm. a, a good, healthy view of it. However, there's no shame in struggling. And I think there is real redemption and the horrible thing is when we feel, I'm saying the word horrible, I don't know why, sorry. Oh, <laughs> horrible. Um, I feel like I'm in a, yeah, just a very dramatic place today. But there is something too, when we believe these lies about ourselves, we're just going to keep going downward further into our little spirals of shame yeah. and guilt and yeah. condemnation. And that's just not a place, again, just not a place of freedom, not a place to be. But it makes a lot of sense like that we would turn against our bodies or you know, a lot of people who struggle with food and body image have experienced abuse or mm-hmm. experienced trauma. and 
when you feel like you can't trust your body or your body's been really harmed, that's scary and that's hard and it, and it's real. Yeah. And so it makes sense. Like a lot of the behaviors behind eating disorders, the more I learn, you know, I'm not a therapist, but I hang out with them all day. I'm very lucky. <laughs> I love my job. But the more you're just like, this all makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, it's so connected. Yeah. We're just trying to feel safe and okay. And we're trying to make sense of these things, or we're trying to punish ourselves because we think that'll make us somehow earn something, right? Like there's just all these things that are happening for us at a deeper level and forgiveness and surrender is just kind of the antidote to all those shame and guilty things that we might experience. Yeah. I always think of it as I think shame and guilt are some of the enemy's favorite tools to keep us frozen and in the dark and from finding and pursuing and experiencing freedom. Because like you said, like it just, it keeps you in the corner. It keeps you in the dark. If I'm too ashamed to even talk about what I'm struggling with, I'm never going to find solidarity. I'm never going to seek out counsel. And I agree with you. And I talk about that a lot, that religion has not done a great job of navigating the mental health conversation. I do think we're getting better. We're taking some baby steps, but that holds people back from getting the help that they need and then being able to put these things into practice to find freedom. So say like, okay, I'm not feeling, I'm not shameful. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm willing to tell you I'm struggling. How do you kind of hold someone's hand from there and walk them forward? I mean, I think admitting that we're struggling is such a brave thing and it's such an important first step. And that's why whenever we have someone reach out for any of our programs, we we always are so careful to affirm them because it's really brave to want to get better and it's really hard to want to get better. And so I think that really is half the battle because there can be so much ambivalence with recovery because you know, I talk about like an eating disorder or any kind of disordered behavior is kind of like your binky, like mm. as a kid, you know, like it, it makes you feel safe, but at some point, like, Ooh, it's got a little dingy and like, you know, <laughs> you you're going to go. get made fun of if you go to school with that thing. I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm mostly joking, but there, there are positive reasons why we turn to disordered behaviors. Cause we want to feel better and feel safe and feel okay. Absolutely. And yeah. it's okay. And it's okay to like, I feel like so often we're just like, no, it's the sin. Stop it. And I'm like, it makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, right? Like it's good to have some compassion and grace for yourself. So all that to say, if you're struggling, you know, it's okay. I think there's compassion and grace there and just keep doing the next right thing and taking that next step because we've had so many people ugh, who will reach out and then ghost us and come back two or three years later. And it kills me because I'm like, oh, you could have been doing this the last three years. Like to think about what you've lost. And so I think just keep the momentum, get accountability, break the silence and tell someone, you know, get out of the darkness and bring it to light and tell someone so you can have some accountability and just call a therapist, call somebody, call rock recovery and yeah. just start to really take the steps towards health and wholeness because they're messy. It's not going to be perfect, but every step in that direction is closer to where you want. Tell us about rock recovery and kind of what y'all offer and what your work looks like. Yeah. Rock recovery is amazing. Again, since I didn't birth it and I adopted it, I feel like I can say that without being um, too biased perhaps, but so we're really unique in that we combine clinical care and spiritual support. So, you know, when I'm among friends, I say, because you don't need to pick between science and Jesus. Great. Amen. 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 And so we offer clinical therapy groups that are available in certain States across the U S virtually. So Virginia, DC, Maryland, and California, I'm thinking of all the states right now. And then we offer face support groups that are available to anyone anywhere. 
And so those are groups actually like that new ID course that I mentioned that I went through. We now run that. I run it virtually. Oh, wow. That's very cool full circle. Yeah. It's kind of fun. So, and so we run those courses quarterly. They're six week groups. They're hour and a half long. We do different weekly devotional groups. We do parent prayer support groups and loved one prayer support groups and just lots of different things to help provide support education and just truth to people and their loved ones who might be struggling. And those are again, all of our face support groups that are available to anyone, anywhere we're building on our clinical program. So we offer group meals and group mm. body image therapy and individual therapy as well. The clients who are in those service areas I mentioned earlier, Virginia, DC, Maryland, California, we're hoping to keep raising money and growing our services. Our big yeah. plan is to be in every state at some point. So Jesus, take the wheel. yeah, we're yeah. hoping to keep growing. We're doing it. That's so cool virtual things and the things that came out of COVID, it's helping us grow a bit more quickly, which is absolutely also redeeming and exciting. It is very, how can people get involved? Do y'all have the option for people to kind of volunteer help something like that, as well as if they did, if someone's listening and they feel like this is something that they need, how can they kind of get in touch? Yeah. So our website's rockrecoveryed.org. And we have all the things on there about our programs virtual or in-person, our programs in-person are mostly in the DC metro area. And then we also have volunteer opportunities. We do different church workshops or speaking events that could be virtual or in-person. So there's just lots of ways to collaborate or get involved and, and kind of bring this message to your community or to get more help for yourself, for your loved ones. Yeah. And, you know, with the Holy Spirit and the and the power of the internet and the Google search, you can find us, but yeah. there's lots of great things. That That's amazing. And we'll link all of this in the show description so that people can find it easily. Thank you so much for the work that you do for sharing your story. I love that at the beginning, you were like, I love this topic. I love talking about this. That right there is redemption and, and victory, right? That it's not something that you're like, yeah, I talk about it because I need to No, like, let's talk about it. Yeah. It's, I know I always joke, my husband and I are not ahead at dinner parties because he's a pastor and I work in mental health and eating disorders. So when people are like, what do you guys do? And it's not like a lawyer or an accountant. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> that got real, real fast. But yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It was really great to be here. Thank you, Christy. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.